You're in the water loop. Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet made possible in part by a grant from Springpoint Partners. This is Waterloop episode number 132, Projects for the Plastic Ocean. The amount of plastic, trillions of pieces, and millions of tons in the ocean is one of the planet's most daunting environmental challenges, but many people are undeterred and drawn to projects to address the pollution some even traveling thousands of miles across the ocean to study the problem and starting organizations dedicated to solutions. That's the journey discussed in this episode with Bonnie Monteleone, founder and executive director of the Plastic Ocean Project. Bonnie talks about the use of art in public outreach, enlisting businesses to reduce plastic, the enthusiasm of young people for tackling the pollution, and working on the issue from the North Carolina coast. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Joined for this episode by Bonnie Monteleone. She is executive director of the Plastic Ocean Project and also a, uh, a fellow resident of Wilmington, North Carolina. Bonnie, thanks for coming on. Travis, thanks so much for having me. And I just love the name Waterloop because you know what? <laughs> it says it all. It is a Waterloop. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So I'm really interested in talking to you. Uh, you know, before I was thinking about this interview, and there's a lot of things about the environmental situation that gets me upset. But when I think about the plastic in the ocean and how much there is, and all those pieces, and how the stuff you know lives exists for hundreds of years, um, it's it's one of the things that upsets me the most. Honestly, it's really uh, it's heartbreaking. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you about it and about solutions and and a path forward. Um, could you talk a little bit about your interesting path and journey that got you into the world of, of plastics? Yeah, I'd like to say that it started when I was around 11, when my mother was uh, unpacking ground beef from plastic wrapping. And uh, she had asked a rhetorical question, where does this stuff go? I, take, I hear it takes about a thousand years for it to go away. And that question really didn't manifest until I was 48 years old, a graduate student at UNCW. And I started learning about this plastic ending up in the middle of our oceans in some of the most remote places on the planet. And it was there that I, I couldn't forget what my mother had asked me. And from there, I, uh, I went on over a 10,000 nautical mile journey studying plastics uh, in some of those remote places on the planet. Wow. Amazing. Amazing to have like one of those formative experiences, right? When you're like 11 years old, something that was like a, a moment that, that stuck with you or, or kind of propelled you on, on your way in, in some fashion. Um, and so those expeditions, that's kind of really when you jumped into this. I'd, I'd love just to hear the story about going out there for the first time and, and where you went and what you saw and then your, your kind of your, your expeditions after that because I'm jealous. I would love to go uh, take chunks of time and go out in the ocean and, and see these, this stuff. But yeah, I'd love to hear the stories. Well, that's the whole point of Plastic Ocean Project. We hope to get people like you out on the open ocean. Um, my background was actually in humanities, so not in the sciences, but I was very lucky because I worked in the science building at UNCW. 
And there I had access to all these experts, whether it be oceanographers, polymer chemists, organic chemists, um, biologists, right? So I really had to learn all the attributes. If I was going to study plastics, how is it affecting the aquatic life? Uh, How do these circulation systems work that plastic is ending up in the center of the oceans? And then actually to go and see it with my own eyes, to run my own surface samples and, and try to, uh, to quantify just how much plastic we were finding. So my, uh, my thesis question was called Plastic Ocean Project. If plastic, is, if plastic is accumulating in the North Pacific, is it accumulating in the North Atlantic? And so the first trip that I went on was actually in the North Atlantic quantifying quantifying plastic with uh, Maureen Conti, who heads up one of the longest running open ocean research projects in the world. That's called the Ocean Flux Program. So with her, I was able to go out at weeks at a time sampling in the middle of the North Atlantic. And in 2009, I then joined Captain Charles Moore. He's the founder of Algalita Marine Research Foundation. And he's actually the one, most of us are talking about this problem. The plastic in the ocean had been studied since the early 70s, but none of the scientists were actually talking about it or getting it out to the general public that we had a serious problem in our hands. And it wasn't until he did his research in the, in the North Pacific and quantified plastics outweighing plankton six to one. And that number, Travis, really stuck with me. How could something that doesn't belong there outweigh something that does? Mm. Um, so that work then led to other opportunities. I joined Five Gyres Institute on the first ever transect across the South Atlantic from Rio de Janeiro to Cape Town, South Africa. Another 30 days at sea studying plastics again in these gyre circulation systems. And then in 2012, I was invited to join a um, former BBC crew that was doing a documentary on plastics in the ocean called A Plastic Ocean. So they flew me to Fiji. I got to bring my surface sampler. We dissected some fish. And and there we were able to reveal the, the real problem with this plastic. And that's that it's interfering with the biota. Right. So we now know that plastic is ingested everything from the smallest animals on the planet, which is zooplankton, all the way up to blue whales and everything in between. And that's just the ingestion side. That's not including the chemicals and, of course, entanglement that plastics cause. So it's a really planetary crisis that this plastic is causing. And that's why we have to do this work. And we need storytellers like you to help get this story out. Yeah. What, um, what was it like just being out there though? Like being out in, in the most remote parts of, of this planet's oceans and, uh, you know, seeing, seeing the water that way, seeing the ocean that way on the positive, wonderful side, but then also, you know, kind of seeing the plastic pollution. There's kind of two sides of that experience, I'd imagine. So what is it like? Well, I have to say that I've become an ocean lover because the experience of being in that environment, most of the time we think about the ocean is just flat. You know, it's just, you just see water. But in any given moment, the the seascape can change. 
So sometimes it looks like a prairie. Sometimes it looks like foothills. Sometimes it looks like mountains. It's it's incredible that you goes to every ripple in that water that's traveling underneath that boat and you feel it. The downside of that, of course, is seeing the detritus of man in these really remote places. And I'm not just talking about on the surface of the water. In fact, uh, when I came back, people were like, where are the pictures of the garbage patch? You know, you've got to be able to take pictures of it. But Travis, when you think about when plastic is in water, most of it's hanging in the water column. So you're really not seeing what's on the surface, maybe a small piece of it. And a really good example of that would be the 50-gallon drum that we found. When we saw it, there was only about this much of it sticking out, right? Just a small piece. And then when we went to pull that small piece out, there was a lot more attached to it. So we end up, when we find these big objects, we jump in the water and we are able to see the, the biota that actually uses it for residence, Right, so a lot of these animals that then make it their home are traveling across the ocean, which is causing causing bio mixing, and meaning that there are fish ending up in organisms ending up where they don't belong. So it's just another real problem with these plastics. We're also uh, we would use little butterfly nets to go underwater. We'd snorkel and just try to catch as many that were below the surface. And then on the surface, we were using a manta trawl, and it's described as such because it looks like one. So it has about a meter across mouth, short fins for flotation, and then it's going to sample just about 15 centimeters of the surface of the ocean, so just barely scraping the surface. And there we're finding a lot of these microplastics, much like in my picture that you see behind me, right? But what the other really shocking thing that I learned, because you, you wouldn't see this if you're just looking out over the surface of the ocean, is the amount of biota that lives in that top 15 centimeters. You know, there's so much of the, the beginning of life, the juvenile fish, they're hanging around the surface, as well as the, the plankton, the phytoplankton. These are really important building blocks for the food that we eat out of the ocean. So, yeah. Yeah, in, incredible. Some some things you said there, um, I didn't ever hear about uh, or, or think about that idea that because, you know, these smaller organisms or fish are kind of hanging out around these floating pieces, which I, I get that concept. I didn't real think about the fact they would drift hundreds of miles, hundreds or thousands of miles away from where they were supposed to be and, and be in a totally different part of the, the ocean ecosystem. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, it also, you must feel like, gosh, I'm out here. I see all this plastic. I just want to collect it all, but you just feasibly can't do that. It must be tough to just kind of have to accept it's there and, and leave it behind, huh? You know, that is so true. There's just so much you can't collect. And we would, we would use dip nets, anything that we could figure out a way to get as much of it as we could. Um, but in many cases, it's too big. And in fact, when we were sailing across the South Atlantic, um, we came across a huge wad of net, right? So this is one of the things that we're learning is that these plastics, once they end up in the marine environment, lots of times they catch up with each other. So ghost gear, right? We pulled in one that had seven different kinds of fishing 
gear on it, right? So it wasn't just one fishing group that lost it. It was seven that it all accumulated, making this really a habitat, an artificial habitat for fish and wildlife. But unfortunately, it also is an entangling apparatus, right? So it can be killing those animals. And then when others come along to feed on them, they can get entangled as well. Well, when we were uh, sailing across the, the South Atlantic, we did come across one of these giant nets, but it was just too heavy to pull in. And it was wow. really sad to just, you know, try with all of our might to get it on board and we just couldn't and we had to release it and wow. knowing what it was capable of doing. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so you had these amazing expeditions. When did you... Uh, launch the Plastic Ocean Project. Um, I'd love to kind of hear that, about that formation. And then I know there's three pillars of your work. So maybe you can kind of tell about putting, putting together your organization and, and what your focus is. Yeah, so there was one moment um, when I was doing this research, and it was actually on Camillo Beach. It's a, a beach in Hawaii, Right, so not some developing nation where we see a lot of this plastic debris. This was a beach that people wouldn't go to swim because there's this prevailing wind and the, and the, it's just so choppy. It would it would really hurt you to get in this water. Is that is and, that is that on the Big Island at the at the south end of the Big Island? That is exactly right. Yeah, I this particular location is like the perfect storm, right? It's got this prevailing wind plus the currents, plus it's a bit of a cove. So the debris is just washed in and then it, it ends up washing up on shore, which is good because it gives us a second opportunity to grab it, right? Well, I um, I was going to say that I I lived on the Big Island for, for a wonderful, you know, three and a half years. And so I've been down to that point. And that's like the southernmost point of the whole Hawaiian island chain. So it's also just sitting right there ready to collect all that stuff. Um, and it's, you think of Hawaii and it's a paradise, but you know, it's an incredible scene of pollution down there with the, tra the plastic and the trash. Yeah. And, you know, most of it isn't even from Hawaii, right? right. So a lot of this debris that is circulating off the continental rims of Asia and the U.S., right, the circulation, the conveyor belt of the, um, the different currents will actually then funnel that plastic into these areas, the center of the gyre, right, or towards the center. And the the uh, Hawaiian islands are certainly in the center of that circulation system. Not directly in the center, but in the center of it, right? So that means all of that debris has the potential of landing on the beach. And that particular spot is just notorious. In fact, um, there's now an impairment scale. Like, would it ever be able to be a healthy, viable beach again? And it's been impaired to the point that it is considered not fixable. Mm. We can keep cleaning it up. But the damage is just done. There's just too much plastic in the ocean that, you know, for centuries, it's just going to continue to wash up in that particular location. Terrible. And that's when, standing on that beach, I knew that so few people have witnessed what you and I have witnessed, that I was going to have to start a nonprofit because the last thing I want to have happen is that happening on Brightsville Beach, right? I mean, once it starts, you can't stop it. And so that's the ambition of Plastic Ocean Project, is to not only clean it up, but also work towards prevention. Mm. 
And that's a tall ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, when we talked before this podcast uh, about your organization, um, you kind of take a, a threefold approach to your work and, and what you're trying to do. Could you, could you outline that? I'd be delighted. So education through research, right? So how I got into this was doing the actual research. So not being a scientist, I now work with a slew of scientists studying plastics in a myriad of directions, right? So understanding that that education piece, by giving people the opportunity to actually see it for themselves, as well as to figure out uh, technology and instrumentation for us to better understand the impacts of these plastics, that is one important leg to our three-legged stool. Uh, last summer, we had 11 interns. Nine of them were high school students. So can you imagine getting them in here? They're wearing the, the, the lab coats, goggles. They're working with some chemistry. They're working with some high-end instrumentation that looks great on their resume that will really launch them into their career if they want to continue to pursue, pursue this type of work. Uh, outreach through art, right? So a picture can tell a thousand words. Um, you know, we need the storytellers. We need the people like you that can take that science, that can take that information that we're generating and get it out to the general, general public so they can make better decisions, right? So that's really what it comes down to. We can't just rely on our government to ban things and make them go away. We have to educate people to make better choices. And what we're learning is we really shouldn't be eating or drinking out of plastic. And that's that's the truth. Uh, we really need other materials. Yeah, plastic's great for the bumper of your car. It makes it lighter so you get better gas mileage, so you're using less uh, gasoline. But to eat and drink out of it is, is we're learning that it's, it's not good. It's not healthy. And then solutions through collaboration, or sometimes we like to call it collaboration, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> collaboration, right? So how do we how do we all work together so we can fix this problem and reduce our use of plastics or any material, right? We've just got this overuse of single-use stuff. And that's what we really need to focus on. And how we can do that is working through our ocean-friendly establishments, right? So we called it establishments because it's more than just restaurants that are accumulating this waste. And then also what we're learning about the 1% for the planet, there are so many businesses, corporations that really do want to help the situation. And so by designing this program called Ocean Friendly Establishments, we, we get uh, businesses, businesses to reduce their use of waste. And by doing so, they become certified and now we even have a star system because once they get rid of one plastic or one type of disposable item, they start thinking, what else can I get rid of? Or could I start composting, right? And so, you know, shockingly, we even have a dentist office that's an ocean-friendly establishment. And so this is just an example of how all industries, all businesses can figure out ways to do better, but they need the tools to figure out how to do better. And that's where Plastic Ocean Project comes into play. Yeah, I, um, you know, I mentioned in the beginning, we both live in, in Wilmington, North Carolina. So this is my community. And 
Uh, I've been definitely noticing for several years the Plastic Ocean, or, I'm sorry, Ocean Friendly Establishments Initiative. Um, you guys, it always pops up. People put on social media when this restaurant or this store joins in, get a nice little certificate, and then um, yeah, it's it's uh, there's more and more of them all the time, and they want to be kind of good stewards of our coastal community, and it's it's awesome. Um, you just pluck away, right? Just keep chipping away and chipping away is the the idea here. Um, so I, I, I enjoy that. Uh, the other thing I really like is the art aspect that you mentioned. Um, you've got that really cool piece of art behind you, which is kind of that classic, that classic wave, right? There it is. Awesome. That's a, it's very well known that, that, that great kind of, uh, Japanese, uh, art, but you've got all the plastic. So it's, has that educational shock value. Um, Another cool thing you guys did was like this sculpture. I think it's called Running Out of Time, and I'll share it on social media for people. Um, and it's like a person kind of running, and it's all made of plastic. Um, could you talk about uh, that that piece and, and just a little bit more about using art to, to raise awareness? Yes, I have to say that um, the art seems to really do the trick, right? So it started with the art piece behind me. And as we continue to do this research on plastics, it's really starting to, to solidify in my brain that this problem is generating from two different angles. So one is, yes, it's ending up in the ocean in places that it doesn't belong, but really has a lot to do with this crazy, fast-paced life that we are all living, right? And I think COVID has helped us slow down and start remembering what's truly important to us. You know, people are now, it's the, the great resignation, right? <laughs> people are figuring out that, yes, I, we do need to make time for our families and, and our hobbies and the things that we love to do. Um, so why I chose the running uh, mannequin, a female one, is because unfortunately, a lot of this falls on, on the mothers that are preparing meals. They're trying to feed their children. So a lot of the stuff is coming in packaging. We are running out of time. These chemicals are causing all kinds of health problems that have been linked to obesity, diabetes, cancers, behavioral disorders, and reproductive issues. So linking that what we do to the planet, we do to ourselves, is why I created this sculpture. And you know, the best part about it was, Travis, we got everyone involved. We had kids gluing these plastic pieces from the ocean on it, right? We had everyone participating, right? Because it's one thing for me to do it, but now it's ownership. We have other people that are proud that they were able to help produce this quite beautiful art piece. Uh, we even have had her down at the beach. So we had her running on the beach and uh, gosh, the looks like the connectedness, the, you know, just the awe and the wonder that people like, wait, what is that? You know, and they would just come up and they would take pictures and they get real close to it, you know, and just snapping shots. And it's like, take those pictures and mm -hmm. talk about them because that's how we're going to figure out how to do better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can't get there overnight. So as M Maya Angelou says, you know, do better. And once you do better, learn to do better again. Oh. And that's on our website. Because that, that really describes how we have to move forward. Yeah. 
uh, again, I love several points you just made. And you, you made this point earlier, too, is that the plastic problem isn't just one of pollution of our environment, but it's, it's, uh, there's, it's not healthy for us, right, as humans to be exposed to a lot of the, the chemicals that are used to make plastic. Um, I love the point that we're in this crazy, fast-paced consumerism society right now, right? Just, just consume, consume, use something, toss it aside endlessly. Um, and that cycle has to get broken. Um, I know that, you know, in our house, you know, credit to my wife, she's gotten, you know, a, more of the reusable soaps and detergents and things, you know, where you've got a glass bottle and you take the little tablet to and you put it in there and then you have your own soap. So you're not just buying the plastic stuff over and over again. But it is a journey and it takes effort. Um, and you're always looking around at like, oh no, I got I got this thing and that thing. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, kind of a segue to that is the young people. Um, because I think that they are um, essential in this journey, right? Like they... I think we're big drivers for seatbelts or for, you know, less cigarettes out there. Like they, they really, and recycling, you know, they've always kind of, the, the, the next generation has always done a good job in holding, teaching the parents and, and driving the change. Um, and so you get a chance to work with a lot of young people. You mentioned the interns with students at, at, UNCW. What do you see uh, from from these teenagers and college students? Um, what's their mindset? What's their attitude uh, in in all of this? They're hungry. They're hungry to figure out what. How do we fix this? So we started with UNCW as our first chapter, and then our second one was actually a high school. So Topsail High School was our second one. Uh, the third one that just joined is Cape Fear Community College. And so what they're asking of me is, how can I be more involved? How can I get involved with the research? What kind of art can we create? You know, right now, Travis, we're working on a full-length documentary, and it's going to be about the North Atlantic. And part of it will be about the plastic problem, because we never hear about plastic being in the ocean in the North Atlantic. It's, a, it's as if it doesn't have a problem, right? So, um, you know, we like to point our fingers that it's happening in the, in the Pacific. Well, by bringing it home to our community and having us understand that, yeah, we actually have a plastic problem here in the North Atlantic. And then how can we get these young people involved? So now we have a couple of students working on our film project, right, which is just spectacular. This is going to be a full-length documentary. We're really hoping that we can get it on the big screen, uh, hopefully within the next two years. Uh, one of my favorite and, and most endearing, most recent things that has happened is that Cape Fear Middle School, unbeknownst to us, did a fundraiser. So it was dress down day. They had to pay a dollar if they wanted to dress down. <laughs> and it's just adorable, right? And they raised $1,658 for us from All this right. middle school. I mean, that's just remarkable. You're like, wait, what? You know, I get right. this letter in the mail. And, and it was all student driven. Teachers had nothing to do with it. This is something they wanted to do. They wanted to do it for us. And that says a lot about what our work means to them. Hmm. And so our next ambition is to indeed create an art piece together with Cape Fear Middle School. Oh, that's awesome. 
Um, you know, and I guess to kind of bring this all together again, we're here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, it's an amazing coastal community. Um, we are, we are on the ocean, you know, so, so we're talking about a very local kind of setting and some local activities and issues, but this is a global problem. It's all, it's all connected. Um, I'd like to just kind of hear your thoughts on, on being here on, in the Cape Fear area, you know, uh, the advantages of, of kind of doing your work in this location. Um, and you know, what impact you can have being here in, in our, our town. I love you that you asked that question. Yeah, we happen to be in this perfect spot, right? So we have the 190-mile-long Cape Fear River, right, which empties out into the Atlantic, which happens to be right in the same location of where we are, right? So we get access to doing research not only in the North Atlantic, but also in the Cape Fear River, the freshwater. And in fact, we are working with NC State with uh, some research projects that they're doing, collecting freshwater samples using the same sampling techniques that we use in the, in the open ocean. And we're also working with 15 river keepers and they're collecting grab samples from all around the state in different freshwater watersheds. And why that matters is that, you know, this is an entire state of data that we have collected looking at plastics. Now, it just so happens that there is a plastics pact. And this is where recyclers, um, producers, uh, companies like Walmart are all coming together with nonprofits to figure out what plastics do we need to get rid of first? because some of them we do need to get rid of. If we wanna create a circular economy, like you just mentioned with recycling, which we need to do and we need to do it better, some of the plastics have to go because they just will not fit in circularity. Mm. So the research that we have done in North Carolina, we have the data to support that those 11 types of plastics we are finding and microscopic levels. Mm -hmm. So that just reinforces the notion that we have got to get rid of those plastics because they're used in abundance. They're ending up not only in the ocean, but in our freshwater. Think about our freshwater fish that we mm -hmm. eat, right? And so this is now helping on a policy side because of the work that we're doing right here in Wellington, North Carolina. I love it. You know, I, I I didn't mention on this episode yet that University of North Carolina Wilmington. That's my alma mater. So I'm really proud that all this is 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 happening in conjunction with UNCW. And then, like you mentioned, we've got a bunch of great universities in this state with with NC State and and uh, Chapel Hill and Duke that are doing a lot of good stuff. So there, it's a it's a great place for all this coastal uh, attention. Um, you know, I am was planning uh, to go this afternoon. It's a nice day in February, upper 60s. I'm planning to end my day and take my, my dog and my two sons, 13 and 11, for a walk on the beach uh, this afternoon. And I am going to relay a lot of the stuff I learned from you today and share some of the stories and some of the information as part of educating those young people. They hear it from me a lot. <laughs> Sometimes they roll their eyes at dad talking about water, 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 but um, it, it sinks in and all that. So Bonnie, I appreciate your time and I really appreciate your work and everything you're doing. Thank you so much. 
Well, thank you. And just remember, I was 11 when my mother mentioned that. So it may not hit them right now, but eventually they start connecting the dots. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much, Travis. Keep up the great work. We need more people talking about water because water is life. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode. And thanks again to Springpoint Partners for grant funding. Remember, you can support the Waterloop nonprofit media outlet at patreon.com slash the Waterloop. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.